All right, good morning. I'm so happy and glad to say that today on the Milk Road podcast, we have a very special guest joining us. She's an absolute hero in the Tasmanian economy. If you know almost anything about how the Tasmanian food industry works, then you'll know her work. I only need to say Stillwater, Seven Rooms, Black Cow Bistro, Ripples Cafe, Lala Gully Vineyard, Vineyards Association of Tasmania, of course, Brand Tasmania, Launceston Chamber of Commerce, Tourism Tasmania, Harvest Community Farmers Market, and the most recent, Able Gin, UNESCO City of Gastronomy for Launceston, and of course, Ferment Tasmania. And who drove all that? Well, she's done so much work to help grow the Tasmanian food industry, improving people's lives, that it would almost be easier to describe what she has not done so far. And that's what's really exciting about our podcast today, because that's what we're going to talk about. What's ahead for all of us? What's Kim thinking about what makes sense next, based on all of her previous work and experience, which is just priceless? Kim Seagram, AM, welcome to the Milk Road Podcast. Thanks for sharing your very valuable time with Chris DeBono of Marrow Foods and I today. How are you? Pretty good this morning. Um, I'd like the uh, rain to stop for a while. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what, um, uh, you just drove over from the East Coast, I think, is that right? That's right. Yeah. Um, we've been um, actually doing a little bit of development for ourselves over the last uh, 18 months and building ourselves a little beach shack, which is kind of nice. Oh, great. Good to hear. Yeah, you were mentioning that uh, the rain over there is pretty heavy. Oh, it's, it's, um, I had a pretty challenging drive back last night. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you made it. And I, uh, as you know, I just came in from Cradle myself, uh, where we are here in Launceston, to catch up with you and Chris and talk about what, uh, uh, what you're building, uh, which is new uh, and visionary, and, uh, and how that fits together with Chris's business, in which I'm very proud to be a minority investor. And of course, want to see that grow because of, for all the right reasons. So you've uh, most recently um, uh, created this idea of uh, Ferment Tasmania and have this idea, I think, of a fermentation hub that you're building. Uh, is it okay if you kind of walk us through some of the thinking, what inspires you to, uh, to be building this? Sure. Um, it's, a, it's a bit of a long journey to um, all the way to, uh, to Ferment Taz, um, but... Um, I guess what I've always done is looked at different opportunities around different businesses that we, um, in terms of me and my husband, myself and the community, myself and other business partners have, have worked on. And I've always felt that empowering that wider um, industry or community around the business that you uh, have created, um, just it doesn't guarantee success, but it gives a, a much greater opportunity for success for the business itself. Yeah, I love that. And I totally believe in that as well. Like you're doing it for the good community practice because you know that that's good, but that also feeds back into your business. Like it increases your odds of success for your own business when your neighbor's doing well too. Is that what you think? Correct. Yeah. And, yeah. and if, you can, if you can actually empower those, um, those sectors of the Tasmanian economy, which really play to Tasmania's strengths, mm -hmm. you know you have much greater chance for success as well. And certainly the, um, the agribusiness industry in this, uh, in this state is fantastic. We're talking multi-generational. We are talking people who steward the land and really care for the land and really do interesting things. Um, but now we've got an opportunity to take all of this incredible primary produce that we grow and value add to it to create something that's much greater than just the agribusiness industry right now. Yeah, that's my understanding. And then Chris's <clears throat> business, in a, in a way, is actually the execution of that, as well as some other businesses that you've built, too. And you see Chris's businesses, I think, fitting into uh, the creation of the fermenta fermentation economy that we've kind of been talking a little bit about. Is that right, Chris? How do you, how are you looking at Kim and her work and in a really healthy, positive way feeding off of that? 
Yeah, thanks, Adam. I think um, so. When when I moved the business to Tasmania in two thousand and sixteen, Kim was one of the first people I met, hmm. and it was actually uh, right at the beginning of that fermentas journey with the with the soiree to sort of announce it. Uh, and start getting that community support. So it was really exciting to to come into a community where that was happening because uh, I guess straight away for, for my business, there's that network effect being built from day one. Uh, and it's part of the reason why we wanted to move to Tasmania in the first place because we sort of looked around and we said, well, you know, if we're going to start a, a food and beverage business uh, and we want to be the, the best at what we do, we wanted to be surrounded by the best people as well because that's the, yeah. the community that you want to be in. So when, when we found out that Fermentas uh, was a thing and started learning about it, we were really excited. Yeah, that idea of wanting to work with the best people so that you have the greatest chance of success. Yeah, I can see why you'd want to work with Kim and you guys would want to work together. I feel the same way as an investor. It's like, how do I make bets on people that mm. are doing the right thing in the right way. Yeah. And Chris, do you remember that first time? I remember you uh, lobbing in and somehow you got my phone number and you had just moved into your, your first little commercial production area. Yes. You had just created your first koji. At that point in time, I didn't even know that you could ferment using uh, fungus. Yeah. Um, and so I went dashing over there to see what he was doing and he had his first lot of things boiling on the stove to, to make his first miso. Um, I, I intended on spending about 15 minutes there just to introduce myself. I think I spent a couple of hours and yeah, I think we fixed the entire Tasmanian economy while we had that chat. <laughs> you visioned it out, right? We did. We did. So was that when, uh, so Ferment Tasmania as an idea, Ferment Tas, that was already an idea, forgive me, my, like I know so little. Uh, Ferment Tas has been around for about seven years now. Okay. Um, and um, it all stemmed from early work that the Centre for Food Innovation did. And okay. uh, the Centre for Food Innovation is a collaboration between the University of Tasmania, the CSIRO, and the Defence Forces, the DSTO facility up in Scottsdale. Oh, right. And, in um, Tasmania. In Tasmania. Yeah. And so what they did was, um, was collaborate together to understand what industry actually needed to take that next step. And um, before they had the, uh, the gorgeous uh, Roger Stanley heading it up, um, oh, yes, they, Roger, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, they actually needed some information on what, what industry needed to grow. So they sent a couple of consultants out, out across the north. Oh, yeah. And um, they actually found after consulting with about 50 um, businesses and growers and makers across the north, that one big shiny center for food innovation wasn't going to work. They actually needed a network of facilities across the north so that even if you had some carrots, rather than just sending them off in a massive, great big crate, yeah. you could actually wash them, put them in a bag that had a brand on them. Yeah. And that was a step above, that was value adding to what um, yeah. was available at the time. So they recommended this whole network of facilities across the north, depending on areas of strength. Northeast was looking at vegetables, Northwest was looking at dairy and, and aquaculture. Oh, yeah. And the, uh, the report actually said that they recommended a fermentation center for Launceston. Oh, did they really? And it was just a little tiny paragraph in this report that just <laughs> really resonated with me and sat with me for a long time. Oh, really? So when I talked to one of my colleagues on the industry reference group, uh, Tom Lewis, about this, we went out and had, had a coffee and got really the juices flowing about the opportunity. So we brought 20 people from across the fermentation sector, from um, from researchers at the university all the way through to micro producers, all the way up to uh, dear Nathan Kalman from Bogues. Um, and oh, right, 20 yeah. people around a dinner table. We could have lit Launceston yeah. with the energy around that dinner table that night. The opportunities and the things that a fermentation hub could bring to the industry to create that step change was just igniting everybody's imagination at that point. Oh, that's really beautiful. I think in terms of getting people across Tasmania to work together. Mm -hmm. And that's, right. that's, that's not easy. No, it's, a, it's yeah. not. Having, having yeah. worked with the wine industry and yeah. with the tourism industry, yeah. it always comes with its challenges. Um, but I think if we start off from a really strong point where we start off with a cluster economic development model, so a model that you actually um, innately have people working together to create opportunities to spark those um, those little um, those little sparks of innovation um, mm -hmm. that you create new products that you create new opportunities, then you develop that element of trust, 
And dare I say, it was like the wine industry in the early days. Because we were so small, we yeah. could not be independently um, yeah, you needed promoting, one another. We needed one yeah, another. Yeah, like it, literally create. it was a survival, commercial survival issue. Correct. Yeah, that's why people do work together. Mm. Like, yes. I, I can't do what he does. Like, I wish I could, right? And so I need to make bets on people doing things I can't do and I think that's why people work together that way yeah? and there are people who naturally collaborate and that's one of the reasons why Chris yeah. and I work so incredibly um, well yeah. together over the years is because we do have a natural tough question what's one of the things like where people are not collaborating or you could be like like what's what's preventing people from maybe we park that question what does the promised land look like what do you think the fermentation economy in Tasmania looks like now like, sorry, in 10, 20, 30 years from now, like when this, when this vision's been executed by you and the people across Tasmania? Well, firstly, uh, people like Chris has grown into a major multinational. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's going to happen. Think, I think the demand is there. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, the products are so good, and yeah. um, and everything he's doing is just so right. Yeah, um, it's just a matter of supporting businesses like um, Chris's and Merrow Foods mm -hmm. to to go to that uh, that next level. And I guess in my mind, so multinational businesses. Like but in the fermentation segment in Tasmania, because I think one does one ex well. You've got the whiskey and the. But we want the yeah. craft industry to thrive too. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. So you know, think about Portland, Oregon. Okay. Okay. Where um, forty percent of the beers that are sold in Oregon right now, at least forty percent, are craft beer. Uh -huh. Okay. In Australia right now, you're looking at only five percent. Huge opportunity for growth in that space. But because a lot of people True. may not know Portland and that 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 dynamism of entrepreneurialism and of the young people that are there yeah, yeah. and everybody working together and creating opportunity and yeah. driving change. Um, maybe I could just put it in, in local terms. It's kind of like Harvest Lawn and Community Farmers Market on a Saturday morning. Okay. But every day of the week. Yeah. That's and a that's beautiful how idea. That's yeah. how Lawn Cestin could be. Yeah, and that, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, please. Yeah, if you had Woolworths turning up and putting up stalls in the car park, you wouldn't be very interested um, but they are still essential to our local economy. They're an employer and they bring in things that the smaller people can't. But we go to the harvest market because it is the smaller people. And I think this is the, the, the thing that you're driving at is we, we do want to create those big businesses because they feed back into the economy and they're big employers and they create opportunities for young people to go, here's a career and this is what I'm going to aspire to. But at the same time, those big businesses, I think, particularly in a community like Launceston, they actually have a role to foster those smaller businesses so that young kids growing up not only say, oh, I can have a job in that big business, but I could be my own business owner and perhaps be a supplier to that big business or, or just be something like that big business, but artisan. Uh, and, and that's what creates the, the community and that dynamism that you're referring to. Spot on, Chris. And, you know, I, we, again, I, I hearken back to my days with the wine industry because it's something I know well. And dear Andrew Peary, who was the founder of Pipersbrook Vineyard, um, when my husband and I had our, our vineyard, Lalagali, and wanted to export, he actually allowed us to use his export license. Okay? Right. So it's having those larger players, much like you're talking about, Chris, that help facilitate the opportunity for the smaller and the craft. To, to really get out there because it actually behooves the, the larger business because it supports the story that they're that they're telling about the quality and the um, um, and the energy behind the incredible products that are being made, uh, but it also then fosters this um, entrepreneurial ecosystem that really yep. drives it. That's really helpful and powerful to hear. Uh, and you mentioned Andrew Peary with the wine industry and your experience there. It sounds like he saw the bigger picture. And he knew that uh, by um, you know, letting you use this asset, that that would flow back with multiple returns to him. And the and, whole industry, right? And the Tasmanian yeah. wine industry, just yeah. they didn't see each other as competition. They actually saw each other as building the story and building the industry together. That's really and healthy. It's, yeah, it's that cluster economic development model again, where yeah. people are working together to build something much greater than, um, than they could do on their own. Mm. Yeah. So you're using uh, this idea to, um, uh, to connect people economically. And I think what I heard from Chris there too, and, and you too, 
is that um, you're building new business models. Because if we're not building new business models, like kind of every day, week, month, then where's the economy going to go? Well, exactly. And Fermentaz is an economic development driver. Okay? Huge. Um, it's providing an incubation space yeah. so that we can lower the bar and lower the cost for people to get involved in the uh, fermented food and beverage Let's sector. Let's make it less risky. Much r less risky and much less costly. Yeah. So people can actually create a new product and go from concept to market testing all the way up to commercial production levels, having their hand held so they have a much greater chance of success. And then to add the next layer, we're then plugging on the whole business side of things because um, as my dear business partner in the uh, Able Gin Company, Natalie Fryer said after her first year working with her, she said, making this stuff's easy. She said, marketing <laughs> it and selling it's the tough bit. <laughs> I mean, that's, how, I mean, that took me a long time to learn too, yeah. right? Like kind of anybody can make something, yeah. right? It's yeah. the yeah. distribution. <laughs> which is the really kind of magical part. I think I look at you as kind of a master of, of bringing people together and distributing new ideas that pull them forward into the, into the future that we all want to create. Because you've got to sprinkle that fairy dust on a whole bunch of consumers out there yeah. and make them want your product. Yeah. Um, you know, you want them going into that, that uh, fabulous deli around the corner. And the first thing they're going for is that Miso or the yeah. new Tamari product that he's about to release because, oh my God, they're addicted to it and they could not um, deal without it week in, week, week out in their pantry. Mm. Agreed. And I, I know that you're good at that because you've done that. I think you're also really great and magically able to do it at the, at the stakeholder systemic level. Mm. Like to get you know, the, the, the wholesale stakeholders, including government, including quasi-government, like, you know, and, and explaining to them, look, here's the promised land that we can build. And I know that if we work together, we can build it. But, but coming from the outside, which you know, I'm from Pennsylvania, you know, coming in and, and explaining to people what Portland looks like and, and what, what Tasmania could look like in its own version of that, that's not always easy to explain. No, it's, it's not. And get the people working together. Like, you're able to do that. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I guess when, um, when this incredible community that came around to set up Harvest Launceston um, uh, Community Farmers Market, um, all we wanted to do was be able to buy local product, okay? That was a simple, and we thought we'd be able to support locals by buying local product. Yeah. What we had no idea was the power of the collective. Okay. Okay. So over the last 10 years, um, we'll be celebrating our 11th or, uh, or it's 11th birthday in uh, February this year. Right. But over the last 10 years, we've actually seen producers because they come together every Saturday. They know each other. They trust each other. Yeah. Now they're creating products together. So they're mm -hmm. using, you know, there's an olive oil producer and a basil producer and a garlic producer that are, that are producing a, a pesto now. Um, you know, one of our, um, our honey producers and olive oil producer created a lip balm, which unfortunately you can't sell at the market because you can't eat it. But, um, <laughs> but, um, but you know, they share uh, opportunities for sales and for distribution and for promotion and for cool store and for... Uh, making opportunities, just the yeah, the power, the, the, the power, power of the, the collective, collective that you yeah. just mentioned. Okay, so um, hope and fear are big drivers, right? And I hope that the promised land economy that you're building comes to fruition sooner than later, right? And there's other, there's things that are, hold those back, which can also be the power of the collective, as in like we don't want that, we're afraid of that, we don't know what that looks like. Um, so how do you, man what are some of the things that you do to manage, because um, Power of the Collective can be positive, but it can also, you know, shrink things, right? Like, you know, um, so if you could snap your fingers and solve kind of one roadblock that's, that's helping you get to that promised land that you want to build because, you know, you know it's the right thing to do, how would you describe that problem that you could just solve? 
Okay, on a micro, not a micro scale, but at a, <laughs> at a very selfish uh, fermentation hub scale. Yeah. Um, the 1.7 million um, that we need in the okay, like in the escal in the escalation of um, yeah. of the uh, the costs because of course with all the supply chain issues um, being compromised globally right now, uh, the uh, QS report and all of the forecasting we did two years ago right. has now blown out. So at a, at a very um, oh, it's getting more expensive to build much, the fermentation economy. Much more expensive to build the fermentation economy through building the hub. Right. Um, so that's at at that scale. But I think probably the thing that's going to compromise us most is the fact that when we went out and talked to all of the um, uh, incubators, the food incubators, the food. Um, production areas globally, um, as we did for our uh, international scoping trip. Yeah. Um, the one thing they said is, regardless of how big you build it, within two years you're going to run out of space. Oh, that's great! Like we talked briefly about that yesterday. Yeah. I think from coming from, uh, uh, you know, migrating to a, to Tasmania, one of the things that I see there is that people are thinking in a traditional way. Mm and that they're not scoping for scale. Is that what you're saying? Well, as not scoping for scale and not able to scope for scale, and, and probably Chris would be a better one to respond to that because, you know, getting up to scale involves so many more things than just doubling your recipe, getting more money. Yeah, I agree. And, and like you've got to protect, I mean, qual, uh, scale is the enemy of quality, right? Mm -hmm. Like as soon as you start, like, Doubling, tripling scale quality. It takes it away. It takes it away from craft. But yeah, 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 yeah. You know, what are your challenges, Chris, on that side? Yeah, scale. You're right. It's really hard. And this is one of the things that I think the the fermentas facility is going to um, really ease. So I think anyone who wants to get into manufacture, you've got. It's really hard here in Tasmania because there aren't many contract manufacturers to to do your product to start mm. with. So, so straight away there's a barrier. So it means you've got to have your own facility. Now you can do it at a, you know, a small sort of farmer's market scale and that's fine. But as soon as you want to get any commercial scale, you are, you're investing in equipment, you're investing in people, you're investing uh, in, you know, processes. And we don't have the, the ecosystem that exists here for people to know who to turn to, to, to get some good instruction on the processes. So I was lucky, you know, coming from the, the Navy and people sort of, you know, when I tell them I was a navigator in the Navy, it just doesn't make any sense that I'd be in food. But, <laughs> you know, we, we, we did a lot of work with processes. You know, there, there was a, a manual on how far above your pocket you wore your medals uh, and you would measure in millimetres, you know, where you put your medals above the pocket. So, you know, that was the level of detail that we were used to going to. So creating that... Uh, that that process map and and doing all that stuff to help support the scale so that you know so that the staff knew what they were doing in this bigger uh, thing because I can't be there watching everything that happens anymore um, that that in itself is a huge challenge and if you don't have that ecosystem you don't have those people those players it's really hard to do and so I think even little things like that uh, the the fermentation facility is just going to be such a huge enabler i think there there is passion there is excitement there is uh, there, there are people who want to do these things um but but the reality is the the, the, the capital barrier uh is is too great that's great kim you mentioned the 1.7 and chris you mentioned uh you know the process of, of mm. wearing your medals a uh, uh, a certain distance from mm. there, right? So if we're going to move people to invest capital, right, you've got a process to do that, right? Um, and I am, my understanding as an investor from what I've seen is that um, when you start talking about uh, the work that Field did, where they estimated that the Tasmanian agribusiness economy would grow by 2030 to 9 billion, mm. right? Like that's a number that we've heard, you know, in from serious players, right? Mm -hmm. So I think what we're talking about doing and Chris and I have been doing is getting more specific about that number. Like what, what makes it up? And, and I think some of what makes it up has already been your work. And when we start defining it more clearly, then the people that are holding back that 1.7 will be like, well, I need to make that bet because if I 
don't, it's more risky. Does that make sense to you? That's what I'm thinking. It, it makes total sense. And um, it's interesting because um, uh, I was actually involved with FIAL developing that, uh, okay. that roadmap. Yeah. Um, and that is actually talking about straight agribusiness. So that's on-farm growing and, yeah. and stuff like that. And then there's the multiplier when you actually take that produce and create a value-added product out of it. Yeah. Um, and then you, you're creating those, those jobs, you're creating those businesses and those opportunities, but mostly you're creating a value-add yeah. um, before that primary produce heads offshore. So then we're maximizing the value from what we've grown out of the earth or... That makes sense. Yeah. So uh, forgive me if I uh, say uh, everything that I say wrong, which might be this right now. <laughs> So that nine billion, uh, does that include the what we would call the fermentation economy? No, actually, that's just agribusiness straight. So that's just the growing stuff. So the agri food and the agri beverage is is on top of that as well. So in a way, like we'd have to go get another number, and uh, but those are going to fit together. Yes. Because actually, when you build. Uh, the fermentation economy has existed for a long time. You, you were one of the people. Fermentation, yeah. fermentation is one of the oldest exactly. forms of food <laughs> preservation. <laughs> you know? yeah. Chris it's, and I were talking it's, about it's, 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 a like, to, it's a bit yeah. back to the future. Okay? Yeah, exactly. It's so yeah. true. Like the whole plant-based meat thing, right? Yeah. It's just like, gee, you know. Yeah. Um, and there's so many, there's so much to talk about right now. But I want to tr- make sure that we drill down on the math of it, right? Yeah. Like the millimeters of the mm. little thing and the 1.7, right? So if I'm the investor holding back the 1.7 and you say to me, well, you know, um, unprocessed value-added food is going to be $9 billion by 2030. And then, you know, that doesn't even measure what the other uh, components of the value-add economy are. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you say, like, you know, um, the revenue from these things is going to be potentially larger than that because I think value-adding in the economy today creates more profit margins. Like as an investor, I want to invest in that segment. Mm. I know capital intensive farms are tough to make uh, high profit margins from. Well, correct. And yeah. if, you, if you think about our, our dairy industry, yeah. which is a price taker model, yeah. you know, we grow some of the, um, the best milk on the planet down here. Yeah. Um, and we sell it off, I think probably close to 90% we sell off as global undifferentiated powdered milk mm. um you know why, don't get me started on this why shouldn't, <laughs> yeah why shouldn't we be making you're, you're just trolling me now. i don't know <laughs> why shouldn't we be making um those incredible cheeses that challenge the french so there's this whole economy that should exist but does not correct so because there's no infrastructure to be able to do it and and there's no skills and training to be able to do it and this is what ferment has is offering that's beautiful and that's i think where we see ourselves commercially fitting together and you're building this economy and telling that story about how you know where we should go yeah. Which, which then fits into the work of the gentleman at the CSIRO at Main Sequence. Uh, I think his name is pronounced Bill Morrill. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he's now, I think, recently talking about uh, this challenge to feed 10 billion people, mm. which, you know, I don't know if that's something I'm up for, but, you know, I, I, uh, I mean, there's hungry people out there, right? By yeah. just addressing the food waste. Yeah. Um, and we have a significant portion of what we grow. Mm. Um, is not to spec. So these are your ugly vegetables that some of the supermarkets have, have yeah. decided to, uh, to, to I sell. Those. Which I is, bought those yesterday. Oh, listen, yeah. it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, rather than sending this stuff back to the farm to, to feed the cows or the pigs or, or to plow back into the paddocks, yeah. why aren't we turning that into incredible fermented vegetable Okay, products? so what you're talking about is missed economic opportunity. Massive. There's like missed. a huge, like, there's, that's what I'm afraid of. Yeah, like I'm terrible at that. It's like missed opportunity. I'm like you know that cabbage yeah. that's a little bit yeah. too loose, hasn't headed properly, or that yeah. um, that carrot that's uh, that's really misshapen. Can you know these things can become kimchi or sauerkraut or other fabulous fermented um, uh, vegetable products that are our dear uh, neighbors uh, in Southeast Asia. In fact, all the way from Eastern Europe through to Japan, eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Mm. Yeah. Massive export opportunity. Mm-hmm. And fermenting them seems like a natural way to add that value. Correct. Like and in the home place yeah. where they're grown. 
Yeah. So do you think that people in the stakeholders that, if you will, the power of the collective, right? Because there's some decision makers that are holding back that decision making to, to have that money oh, listen, flow. We've, we've had such incredible support from the federal government. Yeah. And um, and I do have to uh, to give a shout out to um, people people like Bridget Archer and um, oh, John O'Donium and and Senator Askew. These people have been supportive of the project um, since the beginning. Um, the um, the the Labour government would promised us two uh, federal elections ago ten million dollars to get. I mean, if if they had been elected, we would have the hub up and running by now. Okay, I hear you. But what about the people that are thinking about the decision now? I mean, personally, it sounds to me like um, uh, you know they need if they understood the economics of it. Like literally, it's like a math equation. Mm. Like you know, put in one point seven and get back. Uh, you know, a uh, hundred million in revenue. Like I'm doing that trade. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. The yeah. the the problem is is with everything, and I think um, my brain sometimes works a little bit um, too too hard. Um, it's something that hasn't been done before. Okay. Right. Yeah. And to be able to share yeah. that vision and future forecast. Mm-mm. Um, and not be able to point to something and say, this is how it works. Yeah. Um, sometimes you just have to take people on a journey. And for yeah. me personally, it's been mm. a seven-year journey. Yeah, um, you know, bringing, uh, bringing people uh, to, to this point. Yeah. But the exciting thing is, is now we're off and running. You know, we are, we are going to get this thing up come hell or high water. And um, it would be really good to have all levels of government um, supporting and becoming part of that uh, that ecosystem but at this point in time you know those key levels of government have supported us to the hilt and the West Tamar Council have been fantastic since the beginning you know dear Christina Homdahl um, not only she, did she um, she say uh, we've got some some land that you might be uh, interested in yeah. and when I went to present it to council Unanimously, they voted to support. So they're they're virtually giving us the land to they get build it. it on. They get it. They get it. They're giving it to us for a dollar a year. Mm. Mm. Bloody brilliant! That sounds That's pretty brilliant. effective. Yeah. 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 And that they understand the idea of um, of putting some skin in the game in order to return. Uh, Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And and they understand that being that ferment Tasmania or fermentation Tasmania Limited, as the official um, title is, uh-huh. um, is a not-for-profit company limited by guarantee. So all the incredible talent that uh, that we've got around the board table of industry players who have built and created multi-million-dollar businesses on yeah. the mainland and around the world. Yeah. Um, you know, these people are actually working for free and have been for years. Skin in the game, right? They've got skin in the game. They actually see, they share the vision. Mm. Right, yeah, they're on that journey and they Mm. know that uh, doing it. So I think what's happening too is that people are coming back to Tasmania. And I guess the question I ask in my uh, fellow board role at Startup Tasmania is like, if people are not creating new business models that are interesting in Tasmania, then where do they expect their children to work? And this is this was one of the major drivers for me, and in fact, I got my first treasurer when I presented at an NTDC uh, AGM about Fermentas and the fermentation hub. Yeah. Um, and he um, he uh, dear Michael came up to me afterwards and said, "Oh my God, I now know what my kids are going to do." That's beautiful. <laughs> but because there's there's yeah. no there's no career paths, and yeah. Yeah. and Chris, yeah. Yeah. it must have been absolutely dreadful for you trying to find somebody who can actually come into the facility. That actually knows what fermentation is, let alone how to do it. You know, we've we've just bitten the bullet and trained them up from from zero. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the the gentleman that I've got in there now, um, he's been fantastic. But yeah, it it has all come down to us, and we we just we, we knew that it didn't matter how hard we looked, we weren't going to find the, the the skills that that we needed. So it's exactly what we had to do with the with still water in the early yeah. days. You know, um, mm. we opened that in October um, 2000. 
um, just as the GST had been introduced. Anyway, that's a whole other interesting time of um, yeah. uh, a bump in the road in the Australian um, economic journey. Yeah. Um, but because all of a sudden we opened this restaurant that had we had an expectation of a service that was far above what was being delivered at the time, we had to create that. Mm. And you're, we, you're creating a whole new skill set level in the economy. And raising the bar. Yeah, raising and the raising bar. Yeah, bar. Yeah, raising and the so bar. And so I guess bar. with everything we've done is we sought to raise the bar to pull everybody up with us, to create expectations that your tiny little cafe around the street, you know, throwing a couple of napkins in front of people and a, and a glass of water and you're, you're done, right. was no longer acceptable. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I'm with you there. Um, and when you do that well, people pay higher profit margins for it. That's what Tazzy's yeah. all about. Yeah. We can't do it bigger. We got to do it better. Better, yeah. Quality. Yeah. 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 And we're seeing that. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's changing quickly. In the UNESCO City of Gastronomy work that you put together, that, I mean, that's amazing. Tell, me, tell us a little bit about that. Well, that, uh, that and again. Like, what, why did you do that? Well, it wasn't something I set out to do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> again, it's, it's looking at opportunities as they arise, um, yeah. which I, I seem to, um, to have a bit of a knack for. But uh, my colleague, Tom Lewis, we had sent, I'll set the scene, we had sent a group of people around the world to talk to people who had set up food incubators and, um, and different artisanal product um, uh, incubators around the world to find out what worked for them and what didn't. We wanted to be able to start on, um, on our, our best foot forward. Mm. So we had a set list of questions for them to, to ask so they could share their learnings with us so that we could do a really good job from the get-go. Yeah, that's, that's smart. It's smart. And, and the University of Tasmania supported us with a little bit of funding. Um, we got an ISSI uh, scholarship, or my colleague Tom Lewis did. Mm. Anyway, Tom was talking to uh, Doug Hartson at the uh, Centre for Artisanal Products in Ostersund in Sweden. Mm. And Doug got so excited about what he was hearing about in um, the agribusiness and agri-food sector in uh, northern Tasmania that he said, oh my God, you guys have to apply for a UNESCO Creative City of Gastronomy denomination. Mm. Uh, so Tom brought that, uh, that back and that fired up my imagination. Um, and I talked to um, Andrew Pitt, who was heading up the uh, University of Tasmania's uh, food group that was looking at what was gonna happen for food, um, with food justice, with, with community gardens and things like that at the new campus in, mm. uh, in Launceston. And I said, I know you're, you're really sort of struggling to, to get a project underway. How about you um, help head this, um, this bid up? Yeah. And that was really actually kind of a nice thing to do during COVID when everybody was locked down. Mm, that's, that's really great, yeah. And with um, getting a little bit of uh, money from the um, great regional cities of, um, of the world, uh, grant program uh, with $10,000 of Owen Tilbury's program. Uh, we managed to help hire somebody on in terms of uh, Linda Mackay uh, through Fermentaz and Fermentaz drove the, uh, the project. And uh, yeah, and November last year, we found out we were considered one of the great regional mm. food regions of the world. Yeah, that's a pretty huge, cool. that's a huge win. Like it came out of the blue. I think people were just like, wow, that's amazing. Well, we kind of really wanted to do it like putting in a bid for the Olympics where everybody gets really excited and, yeah. you know, your banner is up and things like that. And even if you don't get it, you know, you were in the running for it. Mm. Yeah. We didn't yeah, exactly. Have, Just compete we didn't, we didn't, is, is a good idea. Exactly. Yeah. We didn't have any money. <laughs> <laughs> but you won. Uh, but we won. We, we ran we're won. on the podium. That's great. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Hey, so I think next week you and Anna Barlow are going to do a, a conversation uh, about uh, your work, right? It's around fermentation. Is it? And okay, it's good. A, it's around, it's getting a number of people in that fermentation ecosystem, sharing where they see opportunities, where, yeah. they, where they need help, where there are challenges. Um, so that we can actually ensure that the hub that we're putting together um, can address um, everything that, um, that, that's brought up. Mm. Um, we're also going to put out a bit of an EOI process um, on that day as well. Okay. Um, asking people to put forward an expression of interest if they are interested in coming and using the uh, fermentation hub with us. Oh, yeah. Because we'd like to, uh, to create a bit of... Um, 
an ecosystem of people who want to use the hub. I yeah. already have a number of people who have put their hands up. Yeah. Um, certainly, uh, Chris is one of them. Oh, and first in the door. Yeah, yeah and yeah, you have been the first in the door since. That's and, why he's, yeah, I mean, yeah. And yeah. and maybe, Chris, you could share a little bit about, you know, how you might be able to participate in an I like this and the, the products that you'd like to, to create with us or the scale-up. Well, yeah, agreed. And, and I think what I'd love to hear, too, is like there's ex- you're, what you're creating and you have created before is exponential growth. This is not business as usual. No, this is step change. Right? Yeah, yeah. Kim yeah. is a force of nature. Right. And it's jumping. Right. It's like, you know, like the, you know, the investors are, are not betting on one, three, four percent growth. This is like 20, 30, 50. And Chris, as an entrepreneur in your space, has some ideas, I think, that might actually create commercial exponential growth. Correct. Yeah, that's what you correct. Forgive me there. So please. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us. Yeah, so, and this is, you know, the exact model that you're trying to set up. So, you know, we've got uh, some different product ideas. So, making miso, we work with uh, fungus on, growing fungus on substrates. Um, and I think there is a lot of opportunity. So, and we've, we're already seeing it in, uh, you know, in production at the moment. I mean, the corn mycoprotein product is, uh, you know, bacterium fungus grown on a, a liquid substrate and they just harvest the, the protein strands. Um, so there's, there's heaps of opportunity. The challenge for me right now, where I see you know, my business fitting in with uh, fermentas and benefiting, is uh, I, I need the scientific knowledge uh, and uh, the scientific process expertise to, to run proper uh, experiments, to, to gain new knowledge, because I'm looking at doing things that haven't been done before, so I want to create something new, uh, and that requires its own process. And Fermentaz is going to have those those specialist um, people. And at this stage, because it's just an idea, and I'm sort of I'm poking around in the dust almost. It's not something that I can really partner with Utaz. You know, I need a product to go to Utaz and say, "Here's my product." Oh, the and way I'm, that they do it now. Yeah, yeah. And I'm ready to scale it, but I need you to help me with shelf stability. You know, I can only get it on the shelf for seven days before it starts growing mold. Help me out. And they poke around and they work out. So they're out. later in the business model process. They're, they're, they're further up the, the chain. This is, yeah. this is about, uh, this is R&D. Invention. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and that's what Fermentaz is, is going to help. R&D, I think, is, that, is the, the key term. Um, yeah. Because we are, we're, we're doing research and development. And then yeah. Yeah. the next thing Clean. is, you know, I don't have the, the equipment to, to do that pilot scale, um, to do, you know, 100. So you're, you're seeing it's not there and you're building it. Correct. And if you think about um, the R&D capacity in Australia right now, we continue to lose R&D capacity. You know, mm. we're very lucky to have the CSIRO doing what they do. Yeah. Mm. Um, but a lot of the major multinationals have just ditched that in an effort to, to trim. Mm. Um, and so the fermentation hub will offer a facility where you can do those R&D trials, where you can, you can fail quickly yeah. um, mm. so that you succeed um, in the long term. Mm. Um, so there's, there's a massive opportunity, um, in that space and the area that, um, that Chris has, uh, pointed out is the, the area that really excites me. Um, it's around precision fermentation mm. and to me, precision fermentation is not only going to help the systems, uh, traditional fermentation right now, it's going to take us into a whole new world. This mm. is creating proteins out of fermentation. Yes. This is this is using that bacteria. Sounds, I haven't heard anybody talk about this. I think that this we is, are so far is, far behind. Like the if you look at what's happened with the right whole now. impossible meat thing, right? And everybody's yeah. like, "That's like the greatest thing since sliced bread." No. But the as you that's mentioned, just highly right? processed, <laughs> that's just highly processed, highly processed vegetables. Soybean. Yeah, right. Whereas you're, you know, as you already have said that uh, you know fermentation is kind of the old, one of the oldest things. Known well, to, man. To, to give you an it's idea, it's been tested. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. It's been tested a few, a few millennia. Yeah. Um, but um, if you, I, when I was overseas uh, recently um, in North America, I was actually hearing about all of the stuff that's happening in the precision fermentation space in the mainstream media, okay? Mm. Okay. So mm. Australia is very far behind the eight ball right now. We really need to play catch oh, up. Oh, okay. Oh, thank you. Uh, but, that. for example, there's one gal in, um, in Canada and another gal who's over in um, 
in Israel, and I believe there's somebody in Australia right now I was reading about the other day, uh-huh. who are actually creating breast milk as a, um, a toddler or infant formula. Yeah. Um, but they're actually creating the protein that is in breast milk as opposed to just using cow's milk. Right. Mm. So here is that next generation of, um, of feeding the, uh, the future. That's really valuable for me to learn um, and kind of blows me away. I don't even know what to say. Like, I, you know, I think that, um, yeah. And working with Startup Bootcamp Australia over the winter, yeah. uh, when Anna brought the whole crew down here, it was really exciting because we were working with um, a fermentation expert who was not only creating mm-hmm. um, a protein that uh, at the end is 70% protein, um, yeah. which is massive, mm. um, it was actually capture, capturing carbon. Right. So it was actually reducing uh, the carbon. Both, load. right. Well, those two things are, are so connected, and I think mm. that creates a lot of confusion. I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know, but just to confirm it, like the food and climate change carbon things are like integrated, right? Like you can, they're a puzzle, like a knot you can't really untie, right? Well, and that's, that's what we want to do. Or you can we, untie them. Well, you can yeah. untie And yeah. we want to we develop to the them. fermentation yeah. hub yeah. around a circular economy model. Yeah. So that when uh, Chris eventually goes up and sell, sets up his own greenfield um, production facility, he'll know what works and what doesn't, rather than mm-hmm. having to do trial and error. He'll say, okay, I know that this works, and I know that I can create yeah. energy this way, um, and I can get rid of my waste this way, yeah. and I can actually valorize that waste by doing this. Okay. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. All right, so that um, uh, there was a there is a there was is a vacuum in the marketplace where Chris is going. Look, I can invent R and D, invent this, but I need this platform to do it. Yes, mm. and you were simultaneously realizing that someone like that would come along. Yeah, right. So that vacuum there, right? Yeah. So to think from the other side, right? Um, Tasmania has a competitive advantage in terms of uh, like the cleanest water in the world, the cleanest soil in the world, the cleanest environment in the world, 100% more renewable energy, right? Like we create carbon credits, right? Mm. So as a place, we have a massive competitive advantage of creating some of the best plant vegetables in the whole world. Tell me why you would not bet on adding value by fermenting those things. Like, tell me the, the, the other person's argument why you would not do that. Because I don't know what it is. Okay, so it's hard to put, <laughs> I have to put my Edward de Bono um, a black hat on now. Yeah, exactly. Because like, yeah. that's what's being thought. Yes. And, and I, I guess... We, we need to understand that thinking because if we don't understand the thinking, then we're confused about why the bet's not getting made. I know there's, there's a culture... Um, that said, oh, that's just going to create a few jars of pickles. All right. Okay. Yeah. But if oh, it's like, too small. It's too small. It's too small. So yeah. they're not getting the promised land. They want, they, they want don't believe sca- in that. They want scale. They want right. large multinationals. They want Chris uh, to succeed and become the large multinational, but they don't understand that by having this ecosystem, this, this grassroots platform yeah. of this incredible craft sector, that the Chris's of the world will then pop up right. and then mm. grow their business. So I think into what you're space. saying is they don't get the cluster concept yeah. of, of there's value it's just, between bringing them together and then you'll actually get like exponential growth. It's such a new concept for Australia and okay. uh, working with Food Innovation, Food Innovation Australia Limited Fial and yeah. Mariana Parika. You know, we've now got four food clusters around Australia. They're working very closely together, together and collaborating. Yeah. And in fact, I um, just I talked with the Central Coast Alliance, um, Frank Samet, uh, yesterday, uh-huh. because we actually realize he's going, he's setting up a food and beverage incubator in the, the Central Coast as well. Right. And they've really taken a leaf out of our book because we've been working with these guys for ages. Yeah. Um, but he's going to need to be able to train people um, when it comes to brewing and uh, distilling. Mm. And so we're, we're now working out an arrangement where they, he can send those people down to us. We can train them up. And then he is going to be focusing on the machines and the equipment and building and main, maintenance on that. So 
we're going to be able to, to work with Taz TAFE and be able to send kids up there to potentially train. And it's that collaboration and two-way uh, two street. Yeah, that's helpful to hear. I think my brain tells me that the way that somebody's thinking uh, that won't make the investment is they think it won't be that big. Yeah. Right? Like, and yeah. with Startup Tasmania, uh, there's a lot of work going on in the startup space. Yeah. And I view your uh, these companies as startups, right? Startup boot camp. Yep. And Anne is actually coming in together and working on filling that space with startups. But these are, are not um, hardware or software no. technology startups. These are fermentation startups. Correct. Mm. Right. And I think maybe what, uh, and I had a really good conversation with Jen Cother a while back about maybe startups in Tasmania means something different yeah. than it does in Silicon Valley. Yeah. And if we think of it only in that way, then we're denying ourselves the future that we can create here. Well, and I think we also have to understand that not only startup, but innovation is yeah. only digital. Mm. Say you know, we've, we've Just siloed say innovation is not only digital. Well, exactly. If you if you think that way, like yeah. then then you're only growing carrots and then selling them to whomever with right? with, with barcodes on them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They've, yeah. They've, they've got some blockchain attached to the um, to, to the green bits. To or the stems. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So you're coming in. You're seeing that as a vacuum, and you're coming in and and trying to and and filling that vacuum, and you've got most of the stakeholders in. But there's still a few people that I think you feel that uh, would be really good because they're kind of holding back the power of the collective, if you will. We're, we're going to make this happen. I've got a board that is yeah, absolutely that. I, yeah, I freaking yeah, determined. Yeah. I, I think what and the, you the know trick the, is to make it happen uh, more efficiently sooner. And I want the true, right? I want the true quadruple helix. You know, we know we've got um, the local government on board. We know we've got um, the, the federal funding. Yeah. We know we've got the community behind us. In fact, we even have community members, bless their cotton socks, I know them well, <laughs> who, did, mm. who top uh, a thousand bucks into our account every year yeah. just to support the work, the work that we're doing. We have UTAS on board. We have just launched the first um, Science of Brewing course with mm -hmm. them. So we connected with them with the Institute of Brewers and Distillers in London, which is one of the only um, globally recognized industry qualification in brewing, which we don't have in Australia right in now, London. except yeah. in London. And we're being able to uh, deliver this course with tutorials and support and hands-on workshops and things like that. Yeah. Um, we're going to be growing the offerings. We're going to be growing distillery offer, um, distillery, distillery training op, uh, opportunities as well. So, and once we have the hub, we'll be able to offer the two-year diploma in brewing, and then the masters in brewing, and all of those things. Um, we're working. So with you're creating tape. a whole new economy. We're, like you're creating jobs, new business models that yep. are not even your own, but other people's, right? Yep. That don't even exist yet. Yep. So why would I want to bet against that? I don't know. <laughs> fear. I mean, right? yeah, yeah. Fear, uncertainty. Uncertainty yeah. hasn't been tested, hasn't been tried. And thinking what's there already now is good enough. Yeah. Because that's it's my fun. understanding. And, 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 and like, I wouldn't do it because, you know what, what's already there is good enough yeah. and they'll work it out. And it's interesting because unless you're part of the ecosystem, and, and Chris, you'll probably attest to this, you sort of see all the craft stuff that's happening out there and think, oh, it's fine. The ecosystem's working really well. There's enough craft brewers out there. There's tons of craft distillers out there. Mm -hmm. You know, everything's fine. Yeah. They don't understand the opportunity for growth in that sector. Totally agree. And I think that's where, that's why I made the bet on Chris's company. Yep. And, and I'd like to increase that bet, but I'm nervous about increasing that bet because I don't see the power of the collective actually thinking to themselves that first of all, like you said, craft beer, yeah, it's going to grow from 5% to, to 40%. possibly 40%. Like there's a, there's a proof there. But the other side is the part that you're excited about too, which is the non-alcohol fermentation economy. Yep. That, like, yep. tell me. <laughs> I mean, Chris has mentioned something already. There's a specific word. I don't want to say it on the podcast now because I think it's innovative in your ideas. But, mm. you know, mm. we're seeing the, the, um, you know, the Franken-meat market kind of crumble, if you will, right? Yeah. And you know, how are we going to make plant-based food more uh, palatable for people based on a thousand-year recipe? Well, And does it, have to, does it have to be plant-based? 
Right. Can it be bacteria or yeast-based? I don't know. I mean, you guys okay. are the technicians. That's, yeah. that's, it's the next generation. So I think my guess is that literally it's unawareness. Mm. They, people that are the, the collective that are saying, well, we're not going to help build that thing, they, don't, they aren't even thinking about that. They don't have the number, the nine billion. They haven't gone, you know, oh, wow, that's, there could be like four billion in tax revenue there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, right. <laughs> I'm just, no, no, no. I'm, I'm silent in agreement. I, I, I 100%. And I think, you know, when we start talking, Kim, about, you know, precision fermentation, I think if we took that term um, and started throwing it around, most people would give us a blank stare and wouldn't understand what we're talking about. Yeah. And that's, that I think is the, the really exciting um, opportunity. It is about, we've got the traditional fermentation, we've got the jars of pickles. And on the one hand, yes, we can create some of the best jars of pickles in the world because we've got some of the best um, you know, agriculture and best agricultural products to put into those jars. But the, the, the exponential opportunity that turns that you know, 9 billion into maybe 90 billion is being able to develop that precision fermentation. Mm. Um, and there are ways that I think it can be used with, with agricultural products. There are ways that it can be used like the, the mycoprotein um, you know, and just harvesting it out of the, the, the liquid broth. Um, there, there are so many different ways that this can play out. Um, and I think it, the science around the world is only just starting to scratch the surface. We're only just starting to, to get a real sense uh, or a real appreciation of just how significant fermentation is going to be on this quest, uh, as you said before, and to feed you know, 10 billion people by 2050. The, the reality is to achieve that, uh, food systems have to change. We just don't have enough land to grow enough cows, pigs, chickens, yep. carrots to yep. feed 10 billion people. We, we physically don't. The science says we don't. Um, so we've got to find new ways to do it, and fermentation is going to be uh, a key player in finding those new ways to feed people. And can, can I throw the other thing in here is health. Oh, yeah. You know, and yeah. uh, we continue to find the research about the uh, the gut-brain axis and the, the microbiome and the, yeah. you know, not only our, our physical health, but our mental health. Yeah. And um, I don't know about you guys, but I always feel so much better when I've had a good dose of kimchi or sa mm -hmm. sauerkraut or something like yeah. that. You're just feeding your body and you know it's good for the, for the, the microbiome. And now all the research that's coming out you know, the nutraceutical opportunities to be able to, mm. you know, pop some of those, those fantastic microbes into some of your favorite, um, favorite foods yeah. so that, you know, every time you're taking a bite, not only is it tasty, it's bloody nutritious and good for you. Yeah. 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 That, that, um, that economy is just grown already, but I think exponentially creates the opportunity yeah. and you're building that. So Chris and I've been playing around with how to, how do we communicate that? Like we're communicating it now and learning on this podcast, right? And yep. educating other people and then using language to kind of um, do what Phil talks about. Like one of the very first things that this investor yep. asks a question is, is this part of my investment thesis? Yeah. Is this, a, is this, does this fit into the, the type of bets I'm making? Yeah. Right. And as yeah. an investor, if, if someone like that doesn't have that, that language, that whistle, I guess, if you will, then they're like, I'm not going to invest. Yeah. And it's interesting because we've already had three different venture capitalists um, actually approach us mm. and say, we are interested in having that catcher's mitt to be on the other end. So mm. if the, um, the, the Chris's of the world actually wanted to come through and, and create uh, a business or create a product, yeah. you know, they're, they're ready to, uh, to be there to catch it and invest and, and help, help that growth. Yeah, because that's their job. Yep. They mm -hmm. have to, if they don't find that opportunity, opportunity they're going to get fired. Yep. Right? Like their, their, their investment return is going to shrink. Yep. So we've been playing around with this uh, you know, kind of wording to be able to speak the language of investors. Yep. And you know, where I live near Cradle Mountain, and as I get further to Smithton, the, uh, the, the use of that language and the, the idea that it needs to be used in a story contest shrinks yeah right like yeah uh, so yeah i think how do we um how do we you know work together to kind of grow that yeah and you've got you've been playing i think with uh, the the term fermentation hub a bit 
yeah. fermentation hub, whether or not we uh, we stay with that, yeah. but it, we had to land on something. So yeah. the people who test it, if it doesn't work, throw it away, right? Uh, the problem yeah. is, is, is hub can be um, just a digital hub. You know, it yeah. can be a virtual hub and things yeah. like that. And through our, our new website, uh, we have the uh, trade platform there. So if anybody has a, a business that they want to uh, to pop on there, oh great, fermentasmania.com. Yeah. Okay. Good. And pop your business in there because we're going to be uh, building that um, that ecosystem to be able to help facilitate trade as well. So when Trade Tasmania heads offshore, or if um, yeah. if there's some people interested in certain markets, we've got to have all of that information to hand so that we can actually hand it over right away. All right, uh, Kim, thank you very much for coming by. Uh, I believe that this is a beginning of a continuing conversation that I personally want to stay updated on because there's just so much to learn and it's early in the opportunity even though you've been moving it for so long, uh, so far, and there's a long way to go too for the opportunity. Uh, and I'd love to offer, you know, uh, Chris and I want to offer you the last word in terms of talking with people uh, uh, who have listened this far and, uh, and feel like they're part of this journey and are inspired for all the right reasons in the same direction you are. Uh, I'd love to ask you for your contact details, which we'll put in the, the show notes. Um, and then what would you like them to hear besides that? But your con, so Fermentaz, yeah? Well, um, there's no such thing as overnight success, as you said, even though it seems like it's just uh, really hit the waves. So, um, you know, there's a lot of hard work that goes, uh, goes behind any success. But I guess the last thing that I'd like to leave you with is um, fermentation transforms. It's our tagline. Yeah. It transforms lives. It transforms economies just like it transforms produce. That's great. I love that. I believe that too. I think that inspires me. And I really appreciate you uh, inspiring me and Chris, uh, you know, previously and along the way now. And I'm looking forward to, uh, to learn more and, uh, and have um, uh, be transformed by it. Fantastic. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Thanks so Chris. Thank Thanks. You. Thank you. Well, there we've heard it. Direct from Kim Seagram AM. What the future should look like in Tasmania in a high quality new way and how she's already been transforming our lives by building this brand new economy together with people like Chris DeBono of Marrow Foods and Launceston, who's already betting on that kind of future in a big way too. If you'd like to learn more because you feel like you're already or should be a bigger part of this bright new future too, then I encourage you to reach out to both of them in ways that make it easier and more valuable for them to help you and work together. Thanks for listening together with me to what they have to say, perhaps asking and offering better questions as feedback so we can figure the future out more clearly. I really appreciate hearing what you think our shared future should look like and is worth investing your time, energy, reputation, and resources into building too. Thank you very much.